So this is the Mosaic law, right? This is the law that God gave to Moses specifically for the children of Israel, for the Jews. As we go through it, you're going to see that there's, there's some that have applicability to us today, but by, by the most majority of it, doesn't have a, a lot of applicability. However, what I'm going to encourage you over the next few weeks as we, as we go through this, and it won't be, be me next week, uh, I think it's going to be Mike next week and Chad the week after. As they go through it, open up your mind. What we want to get from this is a better picture of God's heart because that's what's really important here. Not specifically what the laws were, but that what God was doing for the children of Israel, his heart for the children of Israel, his heart to try to protect them, his heart to, to try to get them into a, a, a kind of a, an order in the way that they conducted life in general. So this is going to be a great insight uh, into that. Not so much in chapter 21, though you see a little bit, but in a lot of this as we go through, a lot of the principles are there are also going to point us directly to Jesus Christ. Right? Even right back here in, in this part of Exodus, the whole point is Christ and what Christ did for, uh, for us on the cross. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight. However, some of these laws, as we go through, are going to seem really, really strange uh, to you. And, and consequently, it's caused controversy over the years, and controversy still goes on, particularly for those that are trying to discredit the Bible. And so it's easy to pick these apart and not look at the overall picture um, and, 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 uh, and maybe pull out things that aren't applicable. But you know what? Our laws, our laws in the United States, in fact, our laws here in New Hampshire can also be strange and hard to understand. Anybody know where Claremont, New Hampshire is? It's a big town. Do you know where, really know where it is? Really? Yeah, it's the north and not right on the Vermont border, right? If you know where 89 cuts across into Vermont, it's just south of, of, Claire, of, uh, of 89, right on the Vermont border, a little town. Well, did you know that in Claremont, it is illegal to use their cemeteries for picnics and parties? It's illegal. You can go to jail for doing that. That seems kind of strange, right? First of all, who here has ever had a picnic in the cemetery? Yeah, no. But it turns out what was going on was they were so well maintained and there weren't a lot of graves in them apparently at the time that there was like a park. And so the locals, particularly the neighbors, started to have picnics in the cemetery. I mean, it's nice. It's mowed all the time. Trees are trimmed and whatever. Yeah, you're not thinking it's so great, but they were having picnics. And that would have probably been all right. But then, of course... Uh, people that are a little wilder started to have beer parties in the cemetery. And next thing you know, it was disturbing those that were trying to have great side services. So the city of Claremont did what probably any city would do, saying, we're, we're writing a law. This is now illegal. So when you know the backstory, it doesn't seem so bad. Um, but the law, law on the surface seems kind of strange. Here's another one. Did you know that in the White Mountain National Forest, it is illegal to pick up trash, repair park benches, um, or rake leaves? I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I was thinking for my civic duty this, this summer, I was going to go to the National Forest and I was going to rake up some leaves. I mean, 
So we could all do this, and we could pray while we're doing it, right? This would be a great thing, but turns out it's illegal, and there's a $150 fine if they catch you doing it. Now, you, again, that seems kind of strange, but it turns out that the locals around the park uh, didn't feel like the park service was doing a great job, and they started to, to do those things themselves. They started to rake leaves. They repaired benches. Apparently, there was a bunch of benches that were broken. Um, they started to, to, to clean it up, pick up litter, whatever. And, of course, the park service got concerned that they were going to lose their job, so they went to the governor at the time, and this was a number quite a few years ago, back in the 50s, um, and complained to the governor, and so he wrote a law with a $150 fine that you can't do that anymore. So next time you're in the White Mountains, if you see trash, leave it, because it's a law. You're not supposed to be able to pick it up. Now, I don't know if Chad's watching or not, or Peter. I, I think Peter's out of the country. Uh, but if Chad or Peter are watching, in the state of New Hampshire, it is illegal to pick up seaweed that's below the high water mark after dark and before morning. I don't know why. I couldn't figure out. I couldn't find anything to tell me why. But if you go out to, to the seacoast in New Hampshire, just don't touch the seaweed because it's actually illegal to do. So my point is, as we read these over the next few weeks, as we look at these, we need to look backwards and see what was the reason behind them. Why did God put these laws in place? And all of a sudden, they start to make a lot more sense, just like these strange laws that we have in New Hampshire. And by the way, uh, if you look, if you ever want to look it up, uh, there's other states that have a lot more strange laws and a lot stranger laws than New Hampshire, but I figured it'd be a lot more applicable. And the problem with the Mosaic Law, what happened over time is people got involved and wanted to try to help God out, right? So if you know the whole history up until the time of Christ, we started out with 10 commandments, then the Lord gave Moses, again, depending on you count, 213 or 217 Mosaic laws. Um, and then over time, the smart people, the religious people, decided to help God out and add more and more and more, and it ended up with over 2,000, I'm going to say that they were rules, though they called them laws, things like, um, if, you didn't, if you didn't have any teeth and you had wooden false teeth, you couldn't wear it on the Sabbath. Or if you had a leg that was taken off and you had a wooden leg, you couldn't wear it on the Sabbath because that was considered work. Uh, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to uh, dishonor the Sabbath by work. So over time, this whole thing got kind of uh, messed up. We want to go back and look at just the Mosaic laws is what we want to do. So let's pick up, obviously, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 first. This is chapter 21 of Exodus. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 6. Starting with verse 1, it says, Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. This is obviously God talking to Moses. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him after the seven years. If his master has given a wife, and he has borne him sons or daughters or both, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, 
He shall also bring him to a door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. What's that? First earring. First earring, first earring ever. This, this section right here has been very controversial over time, and still today you'll run across people who want to use this to discredit the Bible. And they'll say, well, see, God instituted slavery. Well, no, God did not institute slavery. Turns out slavery was alive and well and doing very, very well in that day and age. The only difference was God said, if you're going to have slaves, not that he necessarily condoned it, but if you're going to have slaves, we're going to put some rules around them. This was obviously very radical in comparison to all the rest of the nations that were round about. Because they had slaves, and if you were a slave, you were a slave for life. It didn't matter whether you were married or not married, had kids, or didn't it didn't matter. You were a slave for life. Uh, that's what was going on. And God said, no, no, no. We want to, let's, let's put some rules around this. Again, not condoning. He certainly didn't establish slavery. Not condoning it, but he said, let's put some rules around it. So first of all, if you're going to be a slave, you're only going to be a slave for six years. After the sixth year, in the seventh year, you were redeemed and had the option to leave and no longer be a slave. Obviously, if you were a slave, if uh, you were a male and you came in single, well, obviously, when you left, you left single. If you were married and maybe had a couple of kids when you came in as a slave, then after the end of six years, you left with your wife, with your kids, you were all uh, able to be free. And if, while you were a slave, if your master gave you a wife, possibly another slave, I'm going to guess, well then, your only option was to leave single. Uh, you left the, the light behind. So you see what God was really doing. You see the heart of God. He recognized there was something going on which we find uh, cruel, which we find horrible, right? Slavery, something that is, we would like to think is in our past. Truth of the matter is, slavery is alive and well still in our world, much more in the third world countries than, they, than it is here. Uh, I spent time uh, when I was uh, uh, working for a living. I don't work now for a living. I just goof off. Uh, <laughs> But when I worked for a living, I spent a bunch of time in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, and, and you know what's interesting? Every country has a group of people they seem to pick on. I, I don't know why, but that seems to happen. In Saudi Arabia, it's those that are from Pakistan. They call them Pakis. Slavery is alive and well in the Arab countries. In Saudi Arabia, I don't know about the rest of them, but in Saudi Arabia, it was Pakis. It was Pakistan people that they brought, and they were slaves, and they were slaves for life. Um, and it was totally up to the master. Some of the slaves had nice accommodations uh, in comparison, uh, had a relatively nice life and were treated well. Others were treated extremely terrible and lived in squalor. Um, you go throughout Africa, slavery is still alive and well. Uh, I have a lot of friends. Uh, my brother was in the Cayman Islands for a number of years. He was a missionary in the Cayman Islands. Can, can you believe that you could be a missionary in the Cayman Islands? I mean, come on. But he was, nevertheless. Um, there's slavery in, in, the, in the Cayman Islands. Um, turns out, in their case, 
it's the Haitians, and the Haitians get picked on a lot, but it's the Haitians uh, that, that tend to be slaves in the Cayman Islands. Um, in France, it tends to be the Moroccans. I, d I don't know why, but slavery is still alive and well. And so then we could get real proud and say, but it doesn't happen in the United States. Sorry to say, it still happens today in the United States. It's cleverly disguised often. It's hidden, but it still exists. So God recognized slavery is, is a, uh, a boil on the back of humanity. He recognized it was there, and he said, I want to build some laws around this because I want the slavery in my, uh, my children to be handled differently. I want to establish some rules that almost make it uh, hum humane uh, to be a slave. Do you ever stop to think that in some context, Jesus Christ became a slave for us? You ever stop to think about that? I mean, I, I, I certainly don't want to make, make light of the sacrifice that he made and his life and his teaching, his resurrection, certainly all that stuff, uh, thank goodness, is there for me. But in reality, Jesus left heaven to become down to here, to be a slave, to be sacrificed for you and me. And so in reality, as we look at this, to a large degree, we can start to see Christ amplified throughout these first uh, six verses as he came to be a slave. Part of these verses talk about being a bondservant. And we all know that seems to be one of Paul's favorite terms to use, right? He talks a lot about being a bondservant. Um, and I'm assuming because of, of uh, uh, his education, because of his history, because of him being a, a Pharisee and would have known all, all the Mosaic law, I'm assuming he directly went back to verses 1 through 6 in his mind when he draw out the, drew out the idea of being a bondservant. Uh, but here we see very clearly what a bondservant is. If after those six years you decided, I want to stay with this guy. This master treats me very well. I have good accommodations. I have plenty of food. Uh, life is good. I want to be here. Um, and particularly if you were married and had children, and particularly, I would assume, if you were married while you were a, a slave, um, that, that you wanted to stay with your wife and children, you could become a bondservant. And so as we know, as it shows here, that what you would do is tell the master, I want to stay right here. And as Jeremy said, the first incident of, of an earring, uh, but he would take you up to a doorpost, um, put an awl through your, your uh, uh, ear, the lobe of your ear, put an earring in there, and you were therefore identified for the entire rest of your life as a servant, as a slave, as a bondservant to that particular master. Following along with Jesus, isn't that what Jesus did for us? Wasn't he pierced also, if you will, on a doorpost, right? If you take the analogy back to when um, the children of Israel left Egypt, they took the blood and put it on the door as a symbol of the blood that was going to be shed on the cross. And Christ, when he was there on the cross, was pierced uh, as an example of a bondservant for you and me saying that for all eternity, he is, although he is our Lord, he is our King, he's also saying, I am your bondservant uh, throughout all eternity. So you can see Christ in that whole thing. 
Um, besides the fact that you can see that, all, that what God was doing was saying, okay, so you guys are going to have slaves. Let's set up some rules. So at least this is somewhat humane in how we treat our, our slaves. So you see the heart of God very clearly in this and caring about the very lowest of the low, right? The slaves uh, he's concerned on. Let's move on to uh, verses 7 through 11. So again, Exodus 21, starting in verse 7, it says, And if, his, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, you can fill in the blank there, she shall not, not go out as the male slaves do. What he's saying is the six-year uh, rule, seventh-year um, free, doesn't apply. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed herself, her to himself, then he shall let her go and be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the customs of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights, intimacy. And if he does not do these three things, then she shall go out free without paying money. Again, this is a place where people who want to discredit the Bible love to come and park on. Because you, we know what he's really talking about, right? We're talking about selling your daughter to, I'm going to assume, a wealthy person um, as a wife um, uh, for, for intimate relations. Or if you will, uh, today's world, we would call that Sex, sex slavery, right? That's what we're really talking about. Now, did God condone that? Well, of course not. Of course God didn't condone that. But he knew that it was already going on. It was already a practice that was happening throughout the world. Um, and he wanted to put some, some, some controls on it. He wanted, again, to make it somehow humane. So he took something that was going on that was certainly a boil on the back of humanity, and he wanted to make it better. So the first thing he says is, um, if you're going to do that, she's not going to be free after seven years. Why? That seems counterproductive, right? Why would, why would he say that? Well, what he's saying is, hey, mom and dad, before you start to do this, recognize you're losing your daughter forever. So stop and think about this. So he's starting to, to try to, to cause them to, to think about what are they going to do with their, their daughters, God knew what was going on. God wanted to stop it. And so that's the first thing he did. This, the second part of that was to say that um, if this wealthy person has bought this daughter um, to be uh, a concubine, to be a wife, uh, to, to be a mistress, mistress or whatever, uh, if that was going, going on, and for whatever reason he got dissatisfied with her, Gee, that would never happen in a guy today, right? That, that just wouldn't happen. But if he got dissatisfied with her, um, he couldn't sell her. He couldn't trade her off to somebody else. His only option was to set her free to, to go back again. If he had bought this daughter to be a, a, a wife for his son, there was also some, some rules that around with it. Uh, the big one is, is now the master had to treat her like a daughter, or if you will, like a daughter-in-law. Uh, so immediately her stature became from a slave to being uh, a part of the family. 
And if he took it, if actually the reason why the man married her is because he wanted to, marry, uh, to take her for his own wife, and he married again, again, God's not condoning it, he's just recognizing this happens, if he's going to marry again, he couldn't discard the first wife, or this one that he bought, because the new one is younger, prettier, fancier, or whatever. He still had to treat her with the same respect as if she was his one and only wife. So you see God's heart in this whole thing. Now, this whole section in that day was radical. I'm sure that when Moses presented this to, to the children of Israel, they, their minds were blown. Because unfortunately, at that time, women were basically items to be bought and sold and used and discarded. And all of a sudden, God's saying, no, that's not happening any, anymore. We're treating the, the ladies the same way or very similar to the way we treat men. We're going to treat them with respect. We're going to put some rules around them. We're going to make sure that they're taken care of. A radical idea in the world uh, at that particular. Absolutely mind-blowing for the other nations round about that all of a sudden the children of Israel were starting to take these ladies who before, in the way that they considered, were just objects. All of a sudden they were treating them with respect and with love because God, in fact, uh, did want to protect all of humanity, not just the males, but the, the ladies also. Unfortunately, we know, um, a friend of mine just sent me an article. I don't know that this is true, um, but I can only tell you the article that was uh, sent to me, said that so far this year in the United States, get this, so far this year in the United States, so we're halfway through the year, 6,000 children have been rescued from being sex slaves. That blows my mind. I'd like to think that our culture was better. I really would. I'd really like to think that someday the United States would, would raise itself to a level where that sort of stuff isn't going on. Again, I don't know that that number is true. I can only tell you that the article that was sent to me, and I didn't take time to figure out whether uh, it was fabricated or not, but it just blows my mind that in half a year, 6,000 children were rescued from being sex slaves. And then how many others are not being rescued? And that's only in the United States, right? Unfortunately, this is a regular practice, particularly in the third world, though I believe that in the Western world, which would include obviously Europe and, and Canada and a lot, a lot of other countries, I suspect that it's still a problem there, just like it is in the United States. Um, God recognized that problem. The only difference is God said, let's put some rules around this. Let's try to stop this. Let's try to at least cause these ladies to be treated humanely um, and with respect. So again, um, if you ever run across someone that wants to discredit the Bible, this is some of the verses that they're going to use to try to say, look, God initiated slavery. No, he didn't. God condoned slavery. No, he didn't. God initiated uh, sex slaves. No, he didn't. God condoned it. No, he didn't. God recognized it was going on and said, we are going to treat people differently here in, in the Jewish world and the children of Israel. All right, let's look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Again, Exodus 21, verses 12, 13, and 14. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, 
If he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will point for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Now, a few Sundays ago, Jeremy made fun of me. Nobody realized that he was making fun of me except for me and him. And that he said, some people like even the New Living Translation. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, that was directed at me. That was directed at me. However, in spite of that, I'm going to reread 12, 13, and 14 in the New Living Translation, Jeremy. <laughs> because I think it makes it a little bit clear. So here, here it is in the New Living Translation. You won't see it up there. Anyone who assaults and kills another person must be put to death. But if it was simply an accident permitted by God, I will appoint a place of refuge where the slayer can run for safety. However, if someone deliberately kills another person, then the slayer must be dragged even from my altar and put to death. I think that makes it a little clear what's going on. What did God do with these verses? Anybody know, what did God actually do with these verses? It's the first time this ever happened. God initiated what we know today as murder and manslaughter. That's really what he was saying. He was saying, you know what? If Jake decides he's really got something against me, and Jake's a pretty big guy, and he lays in wait for me outside the door, and I know Jake, he's, he's too kind to ever do this, but lays outside the door and kills me, and that's murder, right? But if instead, if Kevin, I'm walking out in the parking lot, and he doesn't see me, I don't know why, you got your eyes closed or something, <laughs> and runs me over, that's manslaughter. Two different things completely, right? And this is the very first time that that's been identified, is that there's a difference between murder and manslaughter. Why did God do that? Anybody got any idea why God did that? Here was the general practice of that time. Uh, again, we're looking outside of the children of Israel, looking worldwide. Here was the general practice. If I murdered someone, that family could and would chase me down and murder me, even if it was an accident. So even if Kevin, by mistake, runs me over, my family would come after Kevin and his family and murder them. <laughs> go, to, go to California quick. <laughs> right? But, but even if it was just manslaughter, if it was an accident, they would do that. So we had this practice going on where people were just murdering people, just murdering people, just murdering people. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That doesn't make any sense. If, in fact, it was intentional and it was murder, well, then there needs to be consequences for it. And the consequences that God laid down was put the murderer to death. Um, in case you didn't, didn't catch it from uh, my emphasis, I kind of support capital punishment. That's just me. Uh, I think all of a sudden things would slow down a little bit. If every murderer was murdered, I think all of a sudden things would slow down a little bit. That's just me. But he's also saying, but if it was an accident, if it was manslaughter, well, let's not turn around and kill people for accidents because things actually do happen. Um, he 
also identified something that I, I, I think it's funny how, how things tend to just kind of come around. He also identified something that, that we've heard here in the last, I don't know, since 19, uh, 2019, 2020, which was a sanctuary city. Now, our context of a sanctuary city, of course, is a whole lot different than his sanctuary city. But in fact, he said, if it was an accident and you're scared that that family's going to come after you, there will be established, and there were a number of cities that were established as sanctuary cities where you could go to, because it was manslaughter, you could still live your life, you could still have your life, your family could come and live with you, you could have a job as long as you stay within the confines of, of that city, but you weren't murdered for an accident. Right? So God looked at it and treated it. Now, we've carried that through to, to our legal system today, Obviously, there's a completely different set of punishments for murder versus manslaughter. Uh, there's still punishment for manslaughter, particularly if it was out of negligence, uh, but uh, there's a completely different set of punishments uh, then as there are uh, t still to this day. Let's look at verse 15. Um, we'll take 15, 16, and 17 in rapid succession here, but let's look at 15 first. And he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Okay, so I'm saying that apparently God was taking this fifth commandment thing pretty seriously. Right? I, all of a sudden, all of a sudden that fifth commandment all of a sudden stands out to me like, ooh, uh, God, God really kind of meant this. Uh, um, 16 was something that was brand new to. He who kidnaps a man and sells him uh, into slavery, or he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death very first time in history that kidnapping was brought up, but God recognized that apparently this is something that's going on, and he said, if you kidnap somebody, you shall surely be put to death. Now look at seven, uh, 17, isn't this funny? And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Okay, all of a sudden, I, I'm really starting to think that God really means this fifth commandment thing, right? All of a sudden, he's pretty serious about this fifth commandment. Um, so, we need to be careful about how we handle um, our, our moms and dads. Let's look at 20 verse, uh, chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. If men contend with each other, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay excuse me, for the loss of time, uh, loss of his time, and shall provide him to be thoroughly healed. Again, interesting that all of a sudden God is recognizing something that was going on. I mean, what, it, what was happening was, for whatever reason, uh, uh, people would get into a fight, for, for whatever reason, um, and one guy was bigger than the other, meaner than the other, tougher than the other, and the guy died, well, it goes back to this was murder. But if he didn't die, but he's laid up in bed, God's saying, you know, there needs to be compensation for that. So in fact, God's saying, the person who caused the damage needs to pay for lost wages and, lost, and any medical expenses is what he's actually saying. So, um, you, it's, what he's trying to say is, don't fight, first of all. But if you do fight, realize there's consequences. When you hurt somebody else, you've got to pay up 
uh, you've got to pay for the lost wages uh, the, the, and the medical expenses to be healed. Let's look at 20 and 21. Again, a very radical idea for that day and time. If, this is verse 20 of Exodus 21, if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not uh, be punished, for he is his property. Don't necessarily like verse 21, personally. Um, but what he's saying, what he's recognizing, he's doing something that's very radical, in that all of a sudden slaves are elevated to the same level as humans. We all know the history of our country and the slavery that happened in the South, and I'm sure we all have a pretty good idea of at least what has been reported as some of the terrible things that happened to men and women uh, that were slaves even in this country. And unfortunately, um, those same sort of things happen today throughout the world. Um, I'd like to think that it's not so bad here in the United States, but maybe I'm just being naive about it. But it was certainly going on then that uh, the slave was looked, looked at nothing more than uh, a farm animal or a dog or, what, or whatever. So, <coughs> excuse me. And God's saying that's not the way it should be. Um, that it shouldn't be treated like an animal. <coughs> that, in fact, they are a human being and need to be treated like a human being. So if you get mad at your slave <coughs> and you beat your slave <coughs> and he dies, then you, the master, the owner, <coughs> has to be punished for that. Now, the second part of that <coughs> that I don't particularly care for is that if you only beat him to the point where he's laid in bed for a few days, there's no punishment, no consequences for that. And I'm not sure why uh, God necessarily did it that way. <clears throat> Let's move on to verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> verses 22 and 23 <clears throat> is something that um, is still controversial today, and I'll explain why in a minute. <clears throat> if men fight, so if a couple guys are fighting, and hurt a woman with a child, a woman that is pregnant, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no other harm follows, he shall surely be punished uh, accordingly to the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. So if in the middle of a fight, a pregnant woman, because of that fight, gives birth prematurely, the husband and a judge can say, because of what you did, you owe this amount of money uh, to that family. But let's move on to, to 23. But uh, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And we all know that's all taken out of context, right? How many times have you heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Uh, and they forget the whole part that we're really talking about a woman that's pregnant and loses a child. So what God's saying is, if you fight, and a woman who is pregnant with a child loses that child, or loses that child and she herself dies, there is consequences to the men that were fighting. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, wound for a wound, so on and so forth. Here's what I find funny. Um, 
Here in the United States, uh, we're, for a little while at least, we're getting a little bit better. But uh, we all hear uh, over, over and over again, it's not really a child, right? It's just a collection of cells. It's just a fetus. It's not a child. And yet, you know what? In every state of the union, and I know this because my son, who is not a believer, um, he and I have these discussions uh, when we're together. Last year when he was out, he was discussing, and his point is, gee, it is just a fetus. It's just a collection of cells. It's not really a baby until it's born. And I said, do me, do me a favor. Go look up the laws in, in all 50 states and see if there's not a law in the books that says that if I cause an accident, so let's say I have a car accident, and the, the person that I hit is a lady who's, who's pregnant, and that baby dies, see if I can't be charged with manslaughter. And it turns out in all 50 states... I can be charged with manslaughter for killing that collection of cells, that, that the fetus, right? So here we got states on one hand saying, that's really a baby inside that lady. And on the other hand saying, well, it's really not a baby. God recognizes that, in fact, a baby uh, inside a pregnant, uh, pregnant woman is, in fact, a child. And if I cause that child to, be, uh, to die, then there's consequences for me. Right, so he's establishing already what most of us, I think, would believe is common sense, that in fact, uh, that is a baby. It's considered, well, it's considered manslaughter if it was done intentionally. So if I, uh, I'm making it up as I go here, right? Uh, if I get mad at my sister, she's pregnant, and I get mad at my sister, and I beat my sister Please don't tell my sister I'm even saying this. <laughs> to the point where the baby dies, then it would be considered murder. And in fact, I would be, uh, I would be put to death. If it was by accident, then it would be considered manslaughter. And my only option is to go to one of these sanctuary cities. Yeah, I, I believe so, yeah. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, he goes through a long list here of things, wound for wound. I don't know. I mean, if I take it literally, it, it would seem like that if... Uh, I cause a gash on your arm, I should get a gash on my arm. I don't know that that's true, but it seems that way. Okay, so the thought is that it's being taken literally. Where I think it's funny is you hear that quoted so often, but if you read it in context, it's really only about one situation, right? A woman who's carrying a child. But um, like a lot of things, we, we kind of mix things up a little bit from time to time. Or some of us do. Maybe not me, but some Joe does. <laughs> All right, verses 26 and 27. If a man strikes the eye of a male or female servant and destroys it, the eye, he shall let him go free for the sake of the eye. Again, notice that all of a sudden God's protecting the slave. Very radical idea. And going back to the slave, 27, if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let them go free for the sake of the tool, the tooth. So again, all of a sudden, God is doing something that was so radical that, that up until that point, slaves had been treated like they were an animal, like they were a farm animal, that they were just an object. And all of a sudden, God's saying, no, 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 no. These are human beings, and there's things that you can't do to these human beings. You can't be beat them to the point where they lose a tooth, or you can't poke their eye out because, in fact, they're human. Radical idea from that, that uh, time. Going on, uh, probably things that don't apply too much to us today, 
But if an ox gores a man, this is verse 28, uh, or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust its horn in times past, and has been made known to its owner, he has not kept it divine, confined, so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner shall be put to death. Seems pretty drastic, but here's what he's saying. If an ox gores a person, if it's the first time, well, maybe it was just an accident. Maybe the person was doing something they shouldn't have been doing, or maybe it's a pattern. And so the ox is killed because it gored a person, but the owner isn't punished. However, if that ox gores people continually, now the owner knows what's going on, and now the owner has to be held responsible for that particular animal. As all God is saying is, you got to keep your animals under control, right? And don't we see that today? I mean, we don't hear about it so much. I don't know why these things go in pattern, but it seemed like for a while we were hearing constantly about dogs that, that were mulling, uh, um, that were chewing up kids or, or attacking kids or whatever, pit bulls being one example. Uh, but we, we heard about that a lot. Now all of a sudden we're not hearing about it. Maybe we've uh, solved the problem. Probably not. Um, but th that's the whole point, right? If the owner knows that that pit bull, that that dog has a tendency to do it and doesn't keep the dog under control, it's not the dog alone that's at fault at that point. It's the owner also. First time, could be an accident. Second time, definitely not an accident. Third time, definitely now the owner is just being negligent and taking care of his animal. And that's all God's saying is, you got to keep your animals under control. There's consequences for the, the property, the things that you own. Uh, moving on to, uh, uh, let's see, on to 30. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay it to redeem his life, whoever imposed it on him. Whether it be gored a son or gored a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, again, we're back to slaves, he shall give to his master 30 shekels of silver, uh, and the ox shall be stoned. Uh, moving on to uh, 33 and 34. All we're saying here is a person needs to be uh, cognizant and responsible for his property, right? Uh, if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to the owner, but the animal will be his to keep. So what we're saying is, uh, and, and we're pretty much uh, uh, this way in society, is we are responsible for the things that happen on our property, that happens uh, in the areas where we own. Going on to 35 to the end, <clears throat> if a man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide, I'm assuming, to eat. Or if it is known that the ox tended to thrust in the past, and the owner has not kept it confined, confined then he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. So again, God's instituting rules about personal property and how we conduct ourselves. And those rules have continued on even into today, right? 
We have a responsibility. We don't have oxen, but we have cars. We have responsibilities on how we operate uh, our vehicles. And if, in fact, we cause a death with our vehicle, we'll probably be charged with manslaughter. Uh, if it was intentional, we'll be charged with murder. Uh, we have responsibilities in maintaining the property that we own. So somebody comes into our house, and we were negligent in how we maintained our house. And as a result, they fell and hurt themselves or were killed. We're held responsible for it. And that's all that God was doing there. And again, the point is that I want to make is God started with chapter Exodus 21, started to do something very radical. He started to say, we're not going to have the wild, wild west. Right? And in comparison to our wild, wild west, what was going on in the world at that time made our wild, wild uh, west look very tame indeed. And so there was basically chaos that was happening in the world because there were really no rules and no regulations. And God said, we're changing that. For my people, for the children of Israel, we're going to start to establish some laws, some rules, some common sense ideas on how we deal with each other and how we deal with everyday things in life. Not condoning the things that was going on, recognizing that some of those things were already in existence, and putting some common sense around it. Again, my point is, when we look at these, very few of these actually apply uh, to us. Obviously, like I said, the fifth commandment seems to be pretty important to God. And so how we treat our mom and dad, uh, all of a sudden, uh, it certainly applies to us. But a lot of these things, oxen goring and so on and so forth, don't necessarily, and I don't believe any of us have servants or slaves, um, probably doesn't apply directly to us. But we can look at this and see the heart of God and say, isn't he a wonderful, wonderful God that he cares about people? He cares about those that are being neglected. In that day, it was the ladies. He cares about those that are, that are servants or slaves. Um, and he wants all of that to be, to be dealt with justly. What a wonderful thing to look at the heart of God in this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for even Exodus 21. Not necessarily the easiest thing to understand, to read, and to try to put into context uh, to our world. Uh, not always the, the thing that we can look at and say, ooh, I can see exactly what God was doing here. Or, ooh, I can take uh, directly from that and apply that to my life. But Lord, it's great to be able to look at it and say, I can see the heart of God. And Lord, um, the, the song, The Love of God, has been on my heart today. And for me to stop and think about the love that you have for us, for humanity. And Lord, we're messed up. Um, sometimes we're just goofy people, and particularly me, Lord. And to think that even in spite of that, you love us, you care for us, Lord, you, were, you created this entire universe uh, that's bigger than I can even get my mind around, and yet you still care for me, um, a person that deserves no consideration at all. Lord, and just like I see where you cared for the children of Israel and for the, those that were, depre the, those were the downtrodden, those that were misused, those that 
uh, weren't considered to be even uh, worthy to be part of society, yet you cared for them. And as a result, I can see, Lord, that even today, you still care for us. And you care for those that are oppressed throughout the world. You care for those that are slaves, whether they're sex slaves or servants or misused. Uh, you care for all of those people. And Lord, for all of that, we give you thanks. Lord, just ask that you would take whatever from this that you want us to, to burn into our hearts, that Lord, somehow you would put that into our hearts and our minds. Lord, cause us to be different people because it is our desire to be more like you and to be pleasing to you. And for all that you do, we'll praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.